Protecting an iconic toy. Invention, design or trademark. A very warm welcome to another episode of Cartmails in Conversation. I'm Lara Elder, a senior associate in the Trademarks team, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by fellow senior associate Richard Darby from our engineering and technology team. I think it's fair to say that there are few toys out there as recognisable as the Lego brick, which has been a, a feature of childhoods the world over since the late 1950s, and as I, I recently discovered, twice named Toy of the Century. I say childhoods, actually, uh, I know of one or two grown-up children at Cartmel's who would happily have joined us today simply to talk about their creative exploits in Lego. <laughs> but uh, what we're going to discuss today is how Lego has used a variety of intellectual property rights to protect its valuable toy, its bricks, and to try to keep competitors out of the market. So Richard, first of all, welcome. It's really good to have you here. I suppose our catalyst for this conversation today was a fairly recent European general court decision concerning um, one of Lego's design registrations for its bricks. Um, but before we come on to that, perhaps perhaps a place to start would be to ask you about the, the Lego brick and patents. Is it possible to patent something as simple as a, a toy brick? Well, it, yes, it certainly, certainly is. Um, I mean, just as a bit of context, uh, a patent is there to protect inventions. Inventions are meant to be technical in nature. And um, yes, a Lego brick can be considered technical. I mean, the Lego brick is of a certain structure. It has those studs at the top and the receiving surface underneath, which allows you to easily put them together, also disassemble them, put them together in different configurations. Um, so there's definitely a potential invention there. And that's obviously what they felt, Lego felt, all the way back in the, the 1950s, as you say, when they first came up with it. Um, they protected and got a patent in 1958 for, for the Lego brick. And that rather nicely stopped competitors coming onto the market because um, it gave them broad protection for that stud arrangement on the top and the receiving surface underneath. Um, so that was, yeah, a very good move for them to, to start off with way back in the 50s. Yeah, a long, long time ago now. Um, did uh, Presumably they enforced it, did they, against various parties? I imagine plenty of people were pretty keen to copy them once they realised just how successful a toy it, it would be. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the benefit of having your patent. It gives you that monopoly right, that exclusivity versus the competitors. And, I mean, something that we probably will be mentioning is the, the length of term you get out of these mm. these rights. And so thinking back to it being applied for in the 1950s, a patent only lasts for 20 years. And so they've long since expired, those patents that, right. they, had, that they could use for those. Um, but that 20 years of exclusivity you get at the beginning of your, your invention really allows you to establish yourself in the market. And that's what Lego has obviously been able to do. And now they are the construction brick that we all think about, even though other people can still put construction bricks on the market because they haven't got that patent protection anymore for that basic yeah, so they, structure. They got that sort of 20-year head start on everyone else and made good use of it by all counts. It's, it's interesting to see that they, they continue to use patents as well. So having a look on the EPO register, so it's in the European Patent Office, 
you can see that they, they continue to protect for a wide variety of things. And they've had about 20 applications published in the last year, which go across a broad range of different inventions. They're like using new plastics to make their Lego bricks. There's mm. reference to bioplastics. They're using 3D printing to make their Lego bricks as well. But what's also quite interesting is they are still protecting bricks. Just three years ago or so, they were applying for a new form of Lego brick. That, that's quite surprising to me. I mean, how, how do they manage to keep getting protection for what is surely essentially the same thing that they had back in the 1950s? Well, yeah. I mean, so this is the, the thing is that things have moved on and they've, they've come up with a new invention. And so they've sought protection for it. And so for this particular Lego brick I was looking at, it's uh, a particularly slender Lego brick. Um, and it's got this staggered arrangement, which they can interlock with each other. So this very slender brick, apparently, gives you a very stable structure when you want to try and build a tall tower. So that's their kind of technical advantage there, which allows them to seek patent protection uh, based on that brick. So in other words, as long as they keep innovating, they can protect those innovations. Um, just they've lost their monopoly right now over the sort of the original brick, if you like, the basic that they invented back in the 50s. Yeah, and so keeping on top of their IP and making sure they're protecting those new things then at least gives them a differentiating factor compared to their competitors, which their competitors cannot do. Interesting. I mean, may maybe that leads us to talk talk about the next category of IP right that Lego has exploited, um, which is, is designs. Um, so Lego, as I understand it, recently defeated a, a challenge to the validity of of one of their EU design registrations in the general court, um, for, for again, for one of the, the bricks. Um, I guess my first question would be, how did this particular dispute come about? Well, so, as you say, this is, this is for a design right. And so, in contrast to the patents we were just talking about, which are all about technical function of the product, these design rights are all about the appearance of the product. And so, the law is actually set up to try and make sure that you can't use design registrations to protect the technical function. So you cannot have a design right if your design is solely dictated by technical function. That's what the law says. Um, and so Lego had tried, well, had registered a brick. One of the, it was a brick that looked different to the bricks they had out there already. Right. It didn't, it wasn't the standard kind of brick you have there. It, had a, a rather squashed appearance, uh, had a line of just a single line of studs down the middle, and it had kind of flat surface either side of those studs. So, so it looked different from before. Um, so they got that registered at the EU IPO, but then a competitor came along and said, well, we don't think that should be on the register. And the EU, OPO, EU IPO has a mechanism by which you can apply to invalidate other people's rights. So the competitors did this. And the basis for it was to say that this design is solely dictated by technical function, that this should not be a registered design because it's this construction brick and all of the appearance about it is about how it's going to function. So in other words, a competitor comes along and says to the, to the European uh, office, we think you got it wrong when you registered this design in the first place, or am I not understanding that correctly? Yeah, ex well, exactly. But so when it comes to designs, though, there's not really any substantive assessment done by the right. patent office. So it's an important mechanism that exists to make sure that there's not invalid rights on the register. 
Um, but this is an advantage to designs. So when it comes to designs, um, they're relatively cheap compared to other IP rights. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is because as long as you fulfill the formal requirements, you submit that successfully, uh, you will get a registration. Um, the, the office is not going to look at it in detail and make their own assessment of it. And so then it is up to these third parties to, to police them in this way. Right. And, and, and so having had this challenge filed against their design, what, what did the EUIPO say about it? I know it went all the way up to the general court, which I think disagreed with the lower court's decision. So, yeah, so it started at the EUIPO. Um, at first instance at the EUIPO, it was still considered valid. That went to an appeal instance at the EUIPO who had a look at it and looked at the features, picked out six particular features, like the row of studs, the fact they're cylindrical, the appearance of the underside. And they decided that these six features were dictated by the technical function they were performing. They weren't designed with the appearance in mind. Mm -hmm. And so just because those six were dictated by a technical function, they decided that the whole design was dictated by technical function and they invalidated it. So that was the decision from the EUIPO. And then Lego appealed that up to the general court. They obviously disagreed. And it turned out that the general court did too, I think. Yep. So the general court had a look and they said, um, well, the EUIPO has looked at these six aspects, but there's other aspects to these designs that they have to consider. And one part in particular was these blanks, uh, blank surfaces either side of the single line of studs down the middle. Um, so they had a had a look at that and said you haven't you haven't given a reason why that feature is solely dictated by technical function so please go and consider that again basically the eu ipo now has to take that into consideration and think whether that means that was solely dictated by technical function so the the case is still ongoing actually it's just been sort of the buck has been passed back to to the office yeah but i suppose the at least lego now do not have an invalidated design they now have a pending (laughs) invalidation proceedings design so it's a step in the right direction for them but they'll have to see what the eu ipo says on that and i wouldn't be surprised if they um they do okay on this solely dictated by technical function point because i think the lego bricks especially the new ones are designed in a certain way so they look a certain way so that when you put them into a construction with the other bricks, they give a certain overall appearance to your mm. product. So I think it probably would be quite harsh to say there's no aesthetic consideration to how that Lego brick was put together. I mean, certainly that this this particular case or the decision of the general court, it's it's been fairly widely reported as a big win for Lego. And I've seen some some commentators saying they think um, it represents a kind of enlargement of the scope of protection granted to products like Lego that have this sort of modular design where you, you know, you've got several different bricks that you fix together. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? So, that, I mean, so there is a, an interesting point that the General Court did consider, and that was um, in relation to the dictated by technical function, but also in relation to interconnections. So as we've said already, when it comes to designs, you can't get a design that's solely dictated by technical function, but you also cannot get a design which is to an interconnection, to a feature which is designed in a certain way to make sure it fits to another product. So the kind of logic behind that is you don't want to stop people from making products to fit other people's products um, because that will give them an unfair monopoly. Right. But It has those exclusions in the law, but it also then says that although we have those exclusions, we do not want to stop 
the protection of modular products. And so there is a, well, a debate as to whether Lego would count as a, a modular product for that reason. I Can see. it avoid the exclusions of being dictated solely by technical function and as an interconnection by being considered a modular product, which is worthy of protection for its appearance? Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one because on the face of it, as a modular product that can be assembled and disassembled and interchangeable, I mean, that sounds like Lego. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like... <laughs> it's almost like the law has been written to describe Lego. <laughs> exactly. So I think they, they probably have a good argument there. So it'd be interesting to see what the EU IPO do with that. Because again, the general court said the EU IPO has to take this into consideration. But they didn't say whether Lego was a modular product and so could be protected regardless of the technical function and interconnection considerations. So again, we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Yeah, so the story might not be completely over yet with this one. We'll have to keep an eye. Yep. Um, so we've, we sort of talked a little bit about the value of the patents at the beginning in, in creating that sort of 20-year monopoly. Um, what do you think the value of, of design registrations is to a company like Lego as a sort of separate IP right? Um, are they useful also in, in stopping competitors? Yeah, I, I think there's a, they, they are very useful rights, especially using as a, a complementary right to a portfolio of patents and trademarks. Um, what we've touched on already is the ease with which you can get the registration. I mean, so that mm. means that you can submit your application and you will have a registration which gives you a date at which you, you submitted it and will actually at least alert competitors to the fact you've got a right you might want to assert. So it can allow for a relatively, again, relatively cheap amount of money to kind of tell people to kind of stay off your lawn a bit yeah. is a, a potential uh, good thing for it. Um, and so it will protect the appearance of your product and it will protect uh, things that look, look a bit like your product. So there's an assessment that the EU IPO, um, sorry, that the courts will do where they don the hat of what they call the informed user and so in, in Lego, that will be someone who uses construction bricks. And they'll say, well, does the competitor's product give the same overall impression to this person as the registration? And if it does, that means you'll be able to stop those people from right. doing that competing product. So that does allow you to stop competitors. Um, and yeah, so it gives you a, another potential avenue to try and protect what you're doing. And as you say, relatively, relatively cheaply and quickly, I think as well, they, they register pretty quickly designs, certainly in the EU. Is that Yeah, that right? a matter of matter of days, you can in the EU, you can get your, your registration and your, your registration number. So very straightforward way of uh, accumulating some IP rights. But it's is, it is interesting to kind of see what other competitors are, are doing in relation to kind of Lego's products. I had a look through my children's uh, construction brick sets and they do have they have a lot of lego but they also have a bit of what is termed blocks oh. which um b-l-o-x which yes is a competitor of lego and i was intrigued to see actually that on these blocks they they have all the same studs they are interconnectable with the lego um but they have seemed to have purposely put on at least one of the studs on each brick a little dimple Hmm. which is different to what you have on the Lego bricks, which they all the studs are the same and they all have the Lego logo on them. So it makes you wonder if the 
the competitors are purposely putting in these differentiating factors just to make sure they're not going to tread on the toes of any potential registrations that Lego may have and to give themselves a, a distinguishing visual appearance. Yeah, I suppose no one wants to be having a lawsuit filed against them by a company that's clearly very protective of its IP. Yeah, and I, I understand they are very protective of their IP. And it, it's so it was an interesting thing to observe as well that on the boxes it said about these uh, blocks bricks being compatible with the leading brand. And I was wondering if you had any kind of thoughts as to why they were so tentative about saying, well, we all know what the, le- the leading brand is, don't we? It's Lego. What, why, why were they so tentative on the, on the box to say Lego? Yeah, that, that's, that's a kind of a trademarky question we're straying into now. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, that there are various possible reasons that spring to mind. Why would they not mention Lego by name? I mean, um, it could be because they're concerned about possibly infringing comparative advertising regulations, um, according to which you you have to be pretty careful about what you claim by reference to a a competitor's product. And any claim that you make has to be um, sort of objectively verifiable. Otherwise, you could be falling into trademark infringement territory. Um, but in this case, I mean, that, that normally applies when people say things like, you know, better than the leading brand. Um, and it's, as I say, not an objectively verifiable claim. Um, whereas here compatible with the leading brand, I mean, if they are, if they actually fit to Lego bricks, then maybe that's okay. Um, but there may be differences in the, the regulations in different countries and they've just decided to take that sort of cautious approach. I suppose if you've got a, someone you know who who does defend their IP rights, is it worth the risk if you can just say leading exactly. brand and everyone knows what that is? <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of, it, m- many will prefer to take the cautious approach. Otherwise, it could be a bit of a, a reg, red rag to the Lego ball. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, there is a potential to be sued for... Um, trademark infringement if you're deemed to free ride on on a famous trademark in this case lego um and and free riding means you're sort of taking unfair advantage by by citing by referencing the 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 famous brand giving your own product in some ways a kind of leg up um but that that really all depends how you present it and i think if this is a you know in the small print at the back of a box saying compatible with lego um, and that's factually true. Uh, certainly over here, you'd, you, that, that would be okay. But if you're plastering Lego all over the front of the box, then suddenly, you know, you're using effectively Lego's name to give your competitor brand a, a leg up um, because everybody knows Lego. And I mean, the last thing that occurred to me is maybe, yeah, they, they just, they, they want to make their own way. As, as, as you say, they can sort of refer to Lego without mentioning it by name and yeah, just, trying to avoid picking a fight i think okay so I mean, are you aware of other trademarks that lego has i mean i think i heard something about some brick that they want to try and protect the brick itself i mean that'd be very useful yeah so um i mean exactly what we've been talking about in relation to, to patents and designs they've had a go with trademarks as well um i mean in principle a 3d shape like a lego brick could be registrable as a trademark um in practice, it can be quite challenging, um, not least because 
consumers are not used to viewing shapes as indicating the origin of a product, which is in essence what a trademark does. Um, actually, I mean, in the case of Lego, many people probably do instantly, they see a, a Lego brick and instantly recognize it as being from Lego, um, which has been helped no doubt by Lego's successful design and patent strategies that we've been talking about that have kept many competitors out of the market or at least sufficiently far away from them that you can still recognize Lego as Lego. Um, but recognition of, of origin isn't the only hurdle a trademark has to get over in order to be um, registered. So, I mean, very much like in design law, there's a, a technical function exclusion and the bar is set even higher for trademarks um, to, to avoiding that exclusion. Um, and yeah, Lego has perhaps the unenviable claim to fame of generating some defining case law in this area. I say unenviable because unfortunately for them, um, they've been on the, the receiving end of some negative decisions that have resulted in the cancellation of, of registrations for their brick shapes in Europe. Um, I mean, the sort of iconic brick that we've been talking about, it's, I think it's the two by two by four. Um, they applied to register it in 1996 as a 3D trademark at the EU office. And good news at that point, in 1996, the office said, yep, we'll accept it. They, unlike at designs, they do actually examine trademarks and consider whether it, this particular application falls foul of any of the um, of, of any of the uh, provisions in the regulation, including this technical function exclusion. Um, but they said, no, that we don't think that Lego's brick is exclusively functional and, and we consider it to be distinctive of, of Lego's toys. Um, that was all well and good, but unfortunately for Lego, three years later, one of their, a Canadian competitor filed uh, an invalidity action. Again, you know, same thing is possible for trademarks. And ultimately, Lego lost that case. It was it was a pretty long battle, actually. It took just over 10 years, which is not unusual at, at the EU IPO due to the number of appeals that can be filed. Um, but in 2010, after a series of appeals, the Court of Justice held that the te technical function exclusion did in fact apply in this case. And I, I, I quote, they say, a sign which consists exclusively of the shape of goods, which is necessary to obtain a technical result, even if it contains one or more minor arbitrary elements, if all of its essential characteristics are dictated by the technical solution, then it's not protectable. So there's quite a lot in there. Yeah, well, that, that's that's really interesting because that is kind of different to the design considerations where, mm. I mean, there are, surely there are aesthetic considerations um, to that brick. They didn't have to make it. I mean, obviously it, it functions because it is in that shape, but they didn't have to make it that shape. They didn't have to make it with these circular studs necessarily of a certain proportion, of a certain size, the brick of a certain width and depth. So is, is there anything in that or? I mean, this this is where you, you encounter the, the, as I call it, the higher bar really to getting over mm. this particular um, hurdle in trademark law. And the, there's been a progression of, of case law of which this this Lego case is, is a famous one. Um, but what the court effectively said is that 
in order to enjoy the the very significant monopoly that a trademark right potentially grants. Uh, trademarks, of course, unlike designs and patents, are potentially perpetual. Then there has to be something. There has to be some kind of uh, major non-functional element, something decorative or imaginative that departs from the norms of the, the sector you're talking about. So it makes it very different to any other kind of building brick in order to, to get over that hurdle. Um, actually, there was an interesting case on this subject just, just in the last week or two um, involving a, a lipstick case that um, was that, that Gerland sought to register as a, a trademark. And um, again, it was challenged and they've actually just won at the, the general court um, which looked at the lipstick case and said, actually, in this case, it's not just about the function of opening and closing a lipstick. It, it's sort of in the shape of, I don't know if any of our listeners have seen it, but it's sort of in the shape of, uh, well, as the court described it, either a boat hull or a baby carriage. I'm not quite sure how those two things are describing the same product. But there was something that was significantly different, they said, from the from the norms of the sector, from the norms of lipstick cases. Um, so you don't need the product to be novel exactly, um, but it does have to have some kind of unusual or distinctive difference. And and what saved um, Lego's design, that sort of smooth surface around the around the um, the, the studs, would not cut it with the, the trademark office. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's a sort of strong public policy angle, I guess, at play here, which is, as I say, understandable maybe because because trademarks can grant a perpetual right potentially. Um, so, you know, if they had managed to keep that registration for for the simple two by four brick, it would have been pretty potent against competitors. And maybe that's ultimately why why they weren't allowed to keep it. Okay. Yeah, so I, that would be a strong advantage of the trademark and like, you can see why they want to go for it. Um, I mean, they presumably have their, their trademark to the Lego word mark, to the... To the lego word is is there anything they have to be mindful of the fact to try and keep that forever because i'm kind of aware of things like hoover where they kind of are very paranoid or you know they become generic terms yeah so i mean the trade a trademark is as i say a potentially perpetual right but there are various obligations on you as a trademark owner to keep that um you can't just sort of sit back on your laurels um and there are there are two ways that a trademark, whether it's a, a word mark like Lego or, or indeed a shape mark um, like the brick, um, there are two things that you need to do as a trademark owner to avoid it being cancelled. Um, there are two particular grounds of cancellation I'm thinking about, and one of which is to say that the mark is no longer in use. So if you stop using a trademark, you lose it. Now, that's obviously not a problem for Lego Um for its word mark or indeed many of its other trademarks. Um, but where I think what you're driving at is is what we like to call in the business genericide, which is where, you know, a mark becomes almost so successful that people forget that it's it's indicating a particular company and everyone starts to call any products that are like Lego's product Lego with a small L. Um, so if you look at the the regulation, generic use is a ground of cancellation, but it has to be through acts or inactivity of the proprietor. So that's where you kind of, as as a trademark owner, you can cure this by doing or making sure 
making sure you do certain things that protect your rights. Uh, okay, so you, you don't actually have to be necessarily successful in stopping people from doing it, but you need to be sure that you are trying to stop people from using it in a generic way. Yeah, you need to you need to do enough, and you know, of course, there are all sorts of of things that can be done. Um, marketing strategies that make sure that your name or your or your mark whatever it is 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 sort of out there and advertised in relation to you as a company um i mean in the case of word marks policing dictionary entries to make sure that you don't have the oxford english dictionary or or anyone else um using putting an entry that says lego with a small l um is that is a building block you want to make sure that it's Lego with a capital L and a registered trademark symbol that says is a, a trademark owned by in connection with building blocks. Um, and enforcement, of course, is really important. So a trademark can die, die a death if you let lots of your competitors use something similar. Um, and we've seen seen that with well-known marks in the past where everyone starts using them and eventually people forget that they once belonged to a single company and, and you end up with an well escalator sellotape trampoline these were all once trademarks and are no longer because everyone just associates them with the product and not with the company that made it oh that's interesting are you aware of any other trademarks that lego has at the moment um well, actually, I mean, they. Despite I've said that their their brick um, trademark was cancelled, it was actually only partially cancelled. So, I mean, just thinking about their their three D trademarks, which I guess is you know what's been of interest to us today, they they actually do still have the brick registered for a whole range of goods and services, just not construction toys. So, for example, it's still registered for for soap and jewellery and bags and clothing, soft toys, even confectionery. So, you know, there could be a Lego shaped chocolate bar and they would be able to stop competitors using doing something similar. Um, But yes, how much they enforce those rights, I I don't know or have cause to, um, but they're still there. And also they have their little uh, Lego people they have that as a, a 3d trademark registered in, in the eu um and in fact lego managed to see off a challenge to the validity of that trademark by another competitor a few years ago and again the competitor said it's not valid it's technical in some way and the general court said no actually um in this case although you know the head and the body and the arms and the legs could attach the sort of the figurine to other Lego items. In this case, the essential characteristics of the way it, it looks overall don't perform a technical function and that the sort of overall result of the shape is simply to confer human traits on the figures and that's not a technical function. So Lego managed to keep their Lego people registered. Oh, I'll have to investigate the competitor Lego person that comes with the set. That's what I'll do straight after this. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> let's, hope it, it is. let's hope it's not too similar. Otherwise, they'll be getting a knock on the door. Um, not you, hopefully, but the, the company who ever made it. Well, look, I think I think we've, that's probably all we've got time for today. It's been really interesting um, discussing the, the various sorts of IP rights and how, how they've benefited Lego or, or less over the years. And I think Lego makes for a great case study in the joined up use of patents and designs and trademarks to to prolong and strengthen the protection of a what's a very valuable product to them. And over many years, um, of course, they've struggled most with trademarks, as, as I've said, but uh, 
I guess what stands out for me is the the value of designs, which I think sometimes can be a little forgotten about or undervalued as a write by some companies. So it's been really interesting talking to you about those. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks Thanks very much for sharing your insights. And thanks, of course, also to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Cartmel's in Conversation and really look forward to welcoming you back soon.